Welcome back to the Gymnasio Podcast. I am your host, CJ Kobliska, and I have two awesome coaches here with me today. We're going to be breaking down knee pain and what to do about it when it pops up in a workout. And when somebody says they've got bad knees, what does that really mean? And how can we shift the conversation from things that are bad and things that are limiting and things that will prevent us from uh, having a successful workout and a successful lifestyle um, with full, full movement and fun and limiting our pain you know how do we how do we go about shifting that conversation and um, i've got mitch here and michael here to break down kind of their strategies on what they do when clients bring up they've got bad knees or when they're in a workout saying i can't do this i can't do that especially with lunges squats jumps balance basically anything that involves the legs Welcome to the Gymnasio Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnasio has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. So, to kick off this conversation, I'd like to ask both of you, what do you think about or what do you say when a client says they have a bad knee or bad knees? What goes through your mind? I'll leave this one up to you first. <sighs> Deal. Um, my first thought, I don't say this, is um, you're thinking about it all wrong. You don't have bad knees. You have a bad ankle. You have a bad hip. You have bad loading mechanics. You're putting so much stress on that knee, and the knee just says, help me out a little bit. Help me out a little bit. So that's what I say in my, that's what I think about. You know, it's like, okay, so I immediately think, what else is pissing off that knee to make it happen? Then my next, my first question is, tell me your story. Because it could be the opposite. It could be like, no, literally someone just literally crashed into my knee on a bike when I was a kid. Or, you know, someone tackled me, slide tackled me in soccer and blew my ACL out, right? There could be so, there could be impact stories. So I really like the story because um, that uh, really shapes how I should think about it. Even though my first thought is like, your knee's fine. It's really something else. It's, I mean, your knee's hurt, right? But it's not your knee's fault. Um, so the questioning, past history, um, that's where I go first. That's where I go first. But then... Let's say it's non-impact. I, re- I really want to see. I really want to see how that foot can um, go through supination and pronation appropriately when it's you know, supination when it's behind the body, pronation when it's in front of the body, and I really want to see how those hips can really glide side to side and spin. That's what. That's my. Fir- that's Ooh, what. That's what I really want to see. That's a lot of things I want to unpack in there. Yeah. Mitch, how about yourself? What do you think about? What do you see? Similar strategy. I uh, definitely don't impose anything on them at first. Definitely just more so just ask questions um, just to figure out a deeper, deeper dive and in depth into like what really is causing that, that issue. Um, so I think I usually I just ask like, oh, like, have you had a surgery or something? 
um, mm. oh, you haven't, or you have. Because um, I feel like that tells you a lot right there. Like, you have had surgery, so there's some structural limitations or possible cause with that. Or if it's not, it's like, okay, kind of go with Michael's route. I'm looking above or below and seeing how well those two areas function, the, the foot and the ankle and, and then the hip. Um, and then that's, that's pretty much it, I think. I kind of just leave it as a blank slate and just try and ask more questions to start narrowing the path down a little bit. Yeah, people often say like, oh, I have a knee replacement. So expect X, Y, Z. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, tell me about your retraining of that. Yeah. You know, they have a brand new part. The neuromuscular connectivity is like, I'm not going to say it's gone, but it certainly hasn't been trained in a long time. If you waited so long to get a knee replacement, right? It's a lot of retraining. It, it kind of makes me excited. It's like, oh, let me show you what we have. But you have to break through their mental barrier first of like, oh, this is the way it is. I got a knee replacement. I got about 10 years on it, maybe 20. That's what the doctor says until I got to get a, another one. I'm like, wow, wait a minute. How can we put some more miles on, on those tires? Yeah, what goes into that story? It sounds like we've, we've hit three things. More structure. First of all, like, what do we see in terms of the biomechanics of the foot, the ankle, and the hip and how it's involved in the knee. We're also looking at the story of their history of what the body's been through, mm-hmm. whether it be an injury, sports, types of training. No, nothing really happened. It just started becoming uncomfortable. Um, and then also the internal story. What have they been told? What has the doctor shared with them? Um, if they have got a replacement or they have had some kind of surgery, meniscus or a, a ligament, something that's going, going on inside of the knee, maybe they just got it cleaned out. What are the stories that have been shared with them that they have now adopted as their own story? Yeah. And have they had an opportunity to change that story or to make it more thorough? I think a lot of people come in with limiting beliefs about how their knee can get better. And from what I've seen all of us do is we don't really address the knee right away. We say, okay, let's, let's check out the knee. But what we're really looking at is above and below the knee because the story the knee is currently living may not be the full story. It's the truth. It's the truth. And we haven't even talked about the thoracic spine. We, we go to hip and foot so often. It c- obviously could be the thoracic spine. It could be shoulder. It could be, it could be their neck. You know, they just can't mm. turn. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's so crazy. It all depends on the lifestyle of that person, the movement patterns that they go through, right? So frequently, you know, if you're looking at, I, it's, I hate to say it like this in such a complicated manner, but a truck driver could have a bad knee because the way they sit in their truck, because they're pre-positioned, right, in such a way. And that could literally affect movement patterns down as they're unloading their truck because they got to climb that ramp, or whatever the case is. It can get so detailed and so uh, minuscule, but through repetition and rep after rep after rep, not like leg extension rep, but climbing a stair rep. And so you really have to go deep. You know, and people often say like, okay, well, how did this happen? Well, it's really hard for us to figure that out how it happened. We, we, we can understand where it's coming from, but the long-term story of the year after year after year I mean, there's a number of things that could go wrong. A number of things. Let's, let's take that, that analogy of a, of a truck driver. Not even an analogy, just an example, really. We, people drive, people travel, people sit at a desk. So let's take that sitting position. And how might you unpack a lifestyle of sitting, but not just the sitting as the cause, but maybe something deeper, like a lack of counterbalancing that, right? Yeah. Or balancing like it out, saying, all right, you're sitting down, but also it's not bad to sit. We're sitting down right now. But there's something that we might do after or before or recognize within ourselves because of a story of when we feel discomfort or pain. How might you help somebody 
or how do you currently help somebody understand that there is another story that can be told about knee pain. And we can dive deeper into our, our understanding of ourselves through our own movement, our own sensations. Um, where do you start shifting that conversation from it's not your knee? You don't just tell them you're wrong, right? You, that's, a, that's a horrible thing to do. I think we just said that in the last podcast. <laughs> but uh, so w- how would you start? Somebody comes in and says, listen, I sit for a living. I travel a lot. Um, I have knee pain. My, my knees are bad. How can we begin to shift that to something more along the lines of, oh, this is why my knees hurt and this is what I can do about it. I just need to do these things. Mm. Where, do you, where do you start? Want to kick, kick it off? <laughs> trying to find a little bit of success away from the knee so they can... <laughs> trying to find a little bit of success away from the knee that influences the knee. And I feel yeah. like that tends to kind of be like, oh, like a light clicks in their brain. Like, wait, you just form rolled my glute. And that helped relieve the knee pressure or pain or whatever, grab or zing, whatever it may be they're experiencing. And then they go, oh, wait, maybe, maybe this guy is onto something. Hmm. And then diving into, I think visuals tend to help really well. Um, just showing like, hey, look, X, Y, and Z go here. And when you do this, it pulls and that's why your knee doesn't like that. As a super simple way of putting it. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the anatomy apps yeah. that, that we use on our cell phones or iP- iPads. Yeah, huge. You can 360 rotate. We can dive dive in deep and really show like this muscle literally has a direct connection. Right. At least fascially, which is obviously yeah. 3D nice. for medical for those that are listening that want to check yeah. that app out. Yeah. Super helpful. There's several d- different ones too. That's just the major company. Yeah. yeah. I find that just to be a big contributor into just winning them over in a sense. If you're like, this is what I'm thinking. And this is why, and they can see the visual of it, and then you just kind of throw some, some strategies at them, and then they, they start to feel the relief, and then they start to kind of gain that trust with you. I, I like the visual thing. Like, not many people know what the underneath of a hood of a car looks like, right? They, look, they don't really open their hood of their car very, very infrequently. And if they do, it's just a big plastic cover. I think we're doing the same thing. It's like, this is where your brake line pump is and see where it goes. Like, oh, I can see how it's the master cylinder not pressurizing into the back tires. Like, they would have no idea. The same thing, or your glute is a brake pedal for your knee at times. And if it's not pumping, you know, da-da-da-da. Or if you're slamming the brakes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, could be yeah, a yeah, lot right, of things. Exactly. You know, but if they can see it, because there's, you know, 800-plus different muscles um, fascia is lined in several different mini layers within its own muscle tissue. Muscle fibers are the size of a human hair, if smaller. How many different muscle fibers do you have? I mean, geez, you know, I mean, and you got three planes of motion to the you cube 800. That's a lot. Everything's connected. It's all right? weaved together. Yeah, exactly. It, it, something, if something's in pain or discomfort, something... It's like a check engine light, right? What are you going to do when your check engine light comes on in your car? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put a little sticker over the top of that and just say, (laughs) that's not happening. I just hear sounds, right? Out of sight, out of mind. Here we go. And that's what we do with our body. If you're thinking about with your car, we just go take it to the mechanic. But for whatever reason with our bodies, many of us think we got to go to the mechanic, which is the doctor. That's the one place we got to take it. But how many different car shops are out there? How many different specialists are out there? How many different people can actually help you? And how many people think they're helping you, but they're... They're having to do all these extra things, right? They're going to charge you extra. We got to check this, check this, check this, check this, check this. And this may not even solve the issue. Like it, it becomes another narrative for ourselves when we're in pain. Oh, screw it. This is just how it is now. Mm-hmm. And that's partially because those 
that we go to may say, listen, just stop doing the thing that's causing you pain. But for some people, that may be something you really enjoy doing, like hiking, like just getting in and out of their car, like going up and down the stairs into their house, like kicking a ball, like squatting down to do some yard work. Like a lot of these things cause pain. And if somebody is telling us to stop doing it and that is the authority, what does that do to, to us, right? As an individual who's experiencing the pain, it's like, well, I just got to live with this the rest of my life. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Or go as long as possible until the pain is so bad you can't stand it, then come in and get a, a new replacement. Like, what <laughs> what biological behavioral factors have you already preset into that body? So now they hold that same standard of life post-knee replacement. And taking it back to the analogy of the car, if we don't do anything about that check engine light, we go, we don't take it in, or we haven't changed the oil, or our tires haven't been rotated. Those are all things that are going to cause more problems later down the road. And so if it's not addressed, we don't, we just say, all right, I'm just going to drive my car less. Okay, I'm not going to take it on that four-wheel adventure. All right, I'm not going to take it out in the winter or in the rain. Well, now you're not going anywhere. You can't use what you've been given or what you've bought, the the vehicle, right? Right. Your body. So, So where do we go from here? What's... Mitch has shared something about how he kind of helps to shift that narrative, which is through visuals and through experience, um, using the anatomy app, actually taking somebody through some foam rolling strategies and saying, see how you feel? Mm-hmm. Oh, I am experiencing less pain. Maybe if I keep going down this route, I will find more success. What are the things, if there is any more that we, we add in or that you add in um, to helping to shift that narrative? Yeah, um, especially in a movement assessment, because you, you have to get that buy-in as soon as possible because they've been living with it for, if not months, years. You know, and the longer some, something's there, the, I don't want to say the harder it is, but essentially the harder it is to get it out of, out of there. So um, tweaking in muscle groups is like an amazing way to get someone this idea, like you can still move with less pain or ideally zero pain. So uh, one of our um, movement assessments is a forward lunge with both hands reaching overhead, if not posteriorly overhead, which significantly turns off glutes, hamstrings, relative to turning on abdominals, quads, as a primary decelerator of that knee. So let me say that again real quick. When you reach overhead, you're asking the front part of your body to slow down the knee on its lunge descent. Versus when you reach forward or down, you're asking the posterior part of the body, glutes, hamstrings, to be the the brake pedal of the knee. So on one of the lunges we do is we reach forward, or excuse me, up and lunge forward, and that can cause knee, knee pain. So let's just change our reach, and I'll, I'll do that. Reach forward. How does the knee feel? Let's say it still hurts real bad. All right. Reach forward and to the same side. Spin the arms. See what happens. Oh, that hurts even more. Okay, I'm now learning that if I put more posterior chain, more glutes, more hamstrings, especially with that same side rotation, right foot, both hands spin right, and I really ask the posterior chain to add a lot of rotational T-cell, and it hurts even more, I get a story. I get told, okay, the glutes and hamstrings really don't want to help out, or they can't. Okay, let's put a wedge underneath your foot and lunge up onto that dorsiflexed or up ramp um, uh, wood wedge hurts less. Okay. If it hurt more, I still get a story. So be, mm-hmm. be based on their responses, I can change hand positions, foot positions, environmental positions, body positions to get to a, that feels fine answer. 
I'll find it. I'll find it. And if I don't find it, then I, then I start on the table. I mean, there's always an answer. It's, there's always a starting point. And the cool thing is that you can always tell them, like, you know what, there's not, you're not going to tell me a, 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 a possibility that does not lead me to a starting point. They can't say no to that because they can lay down. They may still have knee pain when they're laying down, but at least I can go after the tissue to start there. So it's really cool to not feel stuck in the beginning. Like I felt stuck halfway through, like, gosh, what's my next move? But I still have an out. It's called the rest of my team. Because you think about it differently, CJ, and you think about it differently, Mitch. Like, so it's really cool to have not only the biomechanical possibilities, but the um, support possibilities. Think, how, what am I thinking about differently here? Which, how should I go about this? So It's really powerful. You, you bring up a point about searching for success. And it's like the good, the better, or the worse, right? Yeah. And you involve the athlete in that assessment. It's not just do this, do this, do that. But hey, do this and let me know what you experience. Many times I think we haven't been gifted the opportunity or we haven't given the opportunity ourselves to say, what do I sense? Once we have pain, we identify with that pain and that's who we are. And if we find a movement that is not painful, we're like, nope, that's not, that must not be right. Like it's a weird thing that we go through that when we, especially working with people who have been in pain for long periods of time, that you ask them, hey, does that hurt? And they say, no. But you get deeper and they say, no, it hurts all the time. Right. It just doesn't hurt worse. Yeah. You're like, okay, we, we're now getting to the bottom of what's really going on here. It's like we're so identified with that discomfort and pain, which is not a negative thing. It's just a part of our experience that we think this is how it's supposed to be. But what you, what you had mentioned is that you're searching for those positions of more success. You're bringing variability. That's not just variety. It's got an intent behind it. Whether you know it or not in the beginning, you're going to know it after they say, that was worse, that was better that's the same. Mm -hmm. And we start to put together these puzzle pieces that then the tough part is then relaying what we've found and not writing a story for our athlete, but helping them discover a new story for themselves, a new narrative that there is something out there that is going to help me. And I think I found it, or at least I found the path to get there. Right. Now it's not like, oh man, I feel better. I feel great. That's a rare occasion that somebody's in chronic pain or even acute pain really. And then in an hour, they're going to feel completely better but there might be better yeah. from when they came in. And that's the hope. That's the hope that they, that they need. I say I'm looking for 50% better. If I can get 50% better in a stretch sequence, a foam rolling sequence, or all those put together, I know through my empirical data that we're going to figure this thing, thing out, or at least we're going to get to the next massive hurdle. And I always say this, and I maybe say it too, too much, said my name is now Sherlock, but your name's now Watson. And I can't do my job without you telling me, because I can't feel what you feel, but I can see what you can't feel. Hmm. And that's the relationship. So you need to communicate to me a lot. It's very much a game of reflection. Yeah. You see, you tell me what you feel, and we're going to keep right. getting down exactly. to what we're experiencing without maybe even figuring anything out. We're just writing a more full story of what's actually going right. on. And we get a bunch of doors that we can open up. Because mm -hmm. I've never said, like, oh, I have one answer. It's like, I got, I got option A, B, C. I can probably figure out D, but I got at least three paths that I can go to to really open this thing up. And that's the best part about it. When A doesn't, when, when they say, no, it's only about 25% re reduced discomfort. Uh, okay, not good. I didn't really get the major artery that I'm going, going for. So if I can get 50% better, then I'm, I'm stoked. 
Yeah, I'm I think stoked. that I think that sub- subjective feedback is probably one of the most important things. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's really interesting when you it's like because um, actually I stole it from you straight straight up stole it from you. Where that the one to three scale, where like one, do you experience anything? And if you do, you can, you can keep going. Two is you feel pain, but you'll probably want to stop after a few more reps. And three is basically just like, no, like that was too much. I don't want to go anymore. Hmm. And just even using that scale is is pretty powerful too because even if they experience some type of knee pain with a anterior lunge, we'll just keep using that example. And it's like, is it a one, two, or three? What's well, a one? It's like, is it really there? Because sometimes there's phantom pains as well because they're so used to having pains in that Seriously. area. Yeah. And then it's like, how do you differentiate bef- between that? And it's, you know, I think everything you said before, you know, tweaking in the arms, tweaking in the foot, adjusting all those things can help you kind of figure out a lot of those things. Well, and if we know anything about yeah. pain, it's you could have something tremendously wrong internally, physically, like bi- biologically that's going on and experience zero pain. But you could have nothing wrong internally and be experiencing a shit ton of pain. Yeah. Yeah. And you might have something going on. You kind of experience that mediocre pain. Like there's two sides of that spectrum. So when we're addressing this pain, it's, it is very subjective. Everybody's pain is different. If somebody's got knee pain, the person next to them who's got knee pain in the same knee in the same spot, it may be experienced entirely differently because of what it may be inhibiting them from doing in their daily life, because it stopped them from doing something that they enjoy, because now it's taking up all this mental real estate and they're not able to focus on the other things that they really like doing because their knee always hurts when they're just sitting down. Um, so I think I think where we can start to, we set a good background on how we see or view pain and how we address it and how we might shift that narrative. I think it's important also to have a visual of um, when somebody experiences the pain, like how often do we see knee pain pop up? I think I think it's daily. I would say, it, it, yes. And yeah. knee pain does not mean injury. Let's get that no. clear. Knee pain means there's somebody's experiencing pain and discomfort that could be a sign of trauma going on internally, physically. It could be just something going on more mentally, emotionally, and we can't necessarily say what exactly that is, but we can help to create that deeper story. So when. In what motions, what activities do we typically see somebody experiencing pain or sharing that this hurts me? Uh, this morning, just got done coaching a, a group session, and there's a client who has chronically bad knees, and she's uh, in her 30s, and she shouldn't be. And uh, we've worked with her for a long time. and uh, She has a, a condition, a biological condition, that we're not going to solve the knee problem, but we can but we can biomechanically address it in the workouts. So she's been working out with us. She actually told me it's it kind of cool. Uh, today's my actually my anniversary for marriage. I just you know this is kind of cool. Happy, she happy, yeah, I know. Thank you. I know. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> I've made it. I've made it this far. Um, but she was ironically she said she said hey um, I, I've been working out with you. You're like the longest relationship in my life post my parents. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah. So, you know, anyways, she's had knee pain the whole time, but she doesn't experience it in the workouts because we biomechanically adjusted every single workout since, I mean, we've been working on it. Now she, she goes through her motion patterns and now she has less knee pain throughout her life. And we basically, she would just go to a hip hinge and avoid knee flexion. Right. So now we go to knee flexion with massive hip flexion in her squats, in her lunges. And her lunges look different. But we've taught her, she's taught us, how that we can train her. And she's up. She's now pushing 1,000 plus workouts over the uh, eight years that she's been working out with us. And that's pretty, and that's, so it's pretty awesome to see how, um, there's a long story there, but it's really awesome to see how someone, how she's now taught herself 
we don't, I don't even adjust her movements any, anymore. She does it automatically. And her lunges, her squats look a little bit different than everyone else's. I think it's so important that you bring up too, because on the outside perspective, you're, you might think you're doing that wrong. It looks, <laughs> oh, it looks different. I don't know about that. That's not yeah. the way you should be doing it. But that's the way she has to do it. And that way has allowed her to sustain her fitness training journey still having discomfort, still experiencing some kind of pain, but not making it worse. In fact, making it a little bit better so that in everyday life, it's not taking up as much mental real estate. Whether there's something we could be doing that's even better, I guess we'll find out. But at this point, we're doing something that is sustainable. Mm -hmm. You're doing something in terms of your coaching and cueing that is able to allow her to have a full healthy lifestyle that involves fitness and involves training that is enjoyable as opposed to a chore that is painful, uncomfortable something that I don't want to do, I don't look forward to, but I have to do it. Right, and if you do it for eight years and still come, still be coming back, you know, um, it's, I don't know, it's this, it's this reality that some things you can't solve. There's no fixing that really needs to happen, but a progression of, of how you can go through life in, a, in an awesome way. You know, the human body will degrade. It will stop moving at some point. But what's the quality that you have as you go through it? And to realize that we train that in a workout all the time, giving people giving us the opportunity to. Fitness is so weird because people just expect to work out in, in pain. When I have a new guest coming in, I say, hey, tell me how your body is. Da, 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 you know, hips, ankle. I give them examples. Tell me about this. Tell me about this. And they say, oh, I got a little pain, but I, it's just there. And I immediately say, if you have something bothering you in a workout, you need to bother me. That is the expectation that I, this is welcome to gymnasio. You must bother me. Don't, it's not just should be there. And most of the time, typically with a decision maker type of client, they'd like, just give me the nod, the nod like appease me. Okay. I know. You know, and they don't say anything. I go and bother them. How's it feeling? How's it feeling? And by around, about round four of six rounds, they say, I kind of, I don't annoy them, but I'm on, like, I'm here. Like, you know, it's been bothering me. What motion pattern? Give me the opportunity, you know, especially during a workout while the, the clock's running, you're feeling good. And most of the time, it's just changing a simple angulation from a forward lunge to a lateral lunge, or just from a straight forward lunge on flat floor to lunging onto a six inch box, just to give that knee that much less stress. Because the goal is to come to the next workout. It's not to fix it, it's just keep coming to workouts because movement, good movement makes better movement, worse movement makes even worser movement. <laughs> I mean, you know, sorry, it's yeah, so, so simple, but. How often will you even just watch that person when they tell you that? Because they'll be like, oh, my knee bothers me a little bit. And you start asking questions and you can tell they're getting annoyed at you asking questions. So you, you back off a little bit, just, <laughs> Fair <laughs> just enough. Yeah. especially on like a first encounter type situation. And then yeah. you see him like, you know, two or three exercises in and you just start watching him lunge or squat a little more gingerly or run a little bit yeah. with less speed. And then you go up to him, you approach him and then you have the opportunity you have right there and you're like, okay, try this. And they're like mind blown. Typically, yeah, they're mind blown. Mm-hmm. Like they almost don't believe you. Not, that doesn't happen all the time, it's right? Like, Sometimes you really all, have to search. That's all I had to do? Right. Yeah. But a simple toe in, a simple, but just push your hip backwards when you lunge <clears throat> forwards. Like that was a, an, another one today. Push your hips backwards when you lunge forwards. That's actually quite a uh, tough coordination it is. exercise Not, because right, you've right. got multiple drivers in a movement. Mm-hmm. 
Um, let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Talking about the the motions, you, you provided some cool tweaks that takes away momentum or changes position, changes the X Y Z of like how far, where you're going, and how high, right? Um, when else does it does it pop up? We know lunges, we know squats, we know what were you saying, Mitch? That somebody when they're running around, running. hopping around. A rotational medicine ball throw. Yeah, that, and that's a wild one too often. because that's an upper body core activity. It's full body. Mm-hmm. But primarily upper body and core, and then they're getting some knee discomfort. Yeah. yeah. So it's lateral facing a wall. The wall's to your right side. You throw the medicine ball to your right side. It's pretty much the backswing of golf. And you throw that ball, and if that foot is prepositioned poorly or too much internally rotated to, to begin with, or whatever the case is, and your spine rotates to the right, your hips rotate to the right, and that uh, knee rotates too far to the right, and your foot doesn't move, that knee gets into an out of sync spin, easy, easy knee pain opportunity there. We see it as degrees of freedom too, right? You have right. joints that are go- all going to give a little bit and some that are going to give a lot more right. of a bit. You got an ankle that will probably give you quite a bit, a knee that depending on which direction can give you a little bit or a lot. Um, hips can always give you a lot in pretty much all directions. If you got some healthy hips and they're pretty mobile, you've got the lumbar spine that Kinda should like stay pretty knee. stiff. Yeah. You got the thoracic spine that typically should have quite a bit of availability. You got 12 pieces right there. That should tell you something about that part of your spine. You get the shoulders, you get your elbows, you get your wrists. And I think where people run into discomforts, athletes run into discomforts, is just, it's not even necessarily a position. It's a lack of awareness of position. Because you should, as an athlete, as a human being, be able to be in a position and complete a task without much discomfort. But for novel tasks or things that are very complex, your body's trying to pattern um, and coordinate a lot of different movements at specific degrees that we're not focusing on our ankle, our knee, our hip, our spine, our shoulders, our elbows, and our wrists. We're thinking about doing the task at hand. And so right. our body's going to self-organize to allow that task to occur. I think where we find a lot of success as coaches, not just us, but coaches in general, is seeing all those pieces work together in harmony and coherently or working not in harmony. Like there's there's a disharmony here. Something is giving too much, something's not giving enough, or maybe everything's giving way too much and we're just hyper mobile. So when you're watching somebody's movement, I mean, if, if you're looking at something like a medicine ball throw and somebody is experiencing knee pain, let's say they're throwing the ball to their right side and they're experiencing a left knee pain every time they throw, what's a probable suspect or maybe something that you can just shift in awareness that will allow them to do that motion successfully. Maybe not fix their knee pain, but maybe that knee pain is just happening off of a freak incident. Like they don't even have, have knee pain, but this is the first time they've done a rotational throw and now that knee hurts. Yeah. What's something that you might provide as a tweak or what are you visioning, envisioning when you see somebody doing a right rotational throw and their left knee hurts? Can we do like a round table, just keep going around in a circle until we exhaust it? <laughs> let's do it, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's wind this thing out. <laughs> I'll look at the left knee and see if it valguses while it goes in. Okay. You know, it tells me a lot about hip stability right there, hip strength too. So left knee maybe caving in. Yeah, okay. exactly. What else might we see? <clears throat> we'll come back around and I think give some tweaks, but. Yeah. Uh, I want to see if the, um, if the foot goes through eversion, the left foot. Prone, Ooh, yeah. Pronation. Come through. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So I'm going to see same if. Same motion, just a different joint. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a bailout first to direct me. Hmm. Mm, so looking for bailouts. So, so, so knee caves in, foot maybe not taking enough pronation, or maybe it's holding back. Yep. Um, or you said eversion, yep. pronation. Uh, maybe their thoracic spine isn't twisting at all. They're all arm-driven. Mm. So they're really stiff up top, and their arms are trying to do it all. 
another bailout anywhere else? Uh, uh, lack of rotation from the hips. Like, just the inability to spin it around to get that ball to spin around. Yep. In conjunction with the spine. Mm-hmm. Cool. What are a few tweaks? Because I think that addresses kind of the lower, the upper, the mid section. What are some tweaks that you might offer to, if you see that knee caving in and they're getting that medial left knee pain, what might you offer as a tweak to just mitigate that pain? Maybe not fix whatever's going on, but to mitigate that discomfort. I'll look at their stance. Like, are they in a stance where the glutes are there to actually assist them? Or are they just in a more upright position where, like, they're just not really helping out? So I might even just put them in, like, a slightly flexed position at the knee and the hip just to load the glutes more hmm. and then just have them go through the rotation or emphasize a foot driving through the ground even more and start using ground reaction forces and for assistance in that exercise. That's a wild one, too, because their feet are already touching the ground, but just by pushing your foot into the ground, right. that cue... Now they've got grounded stability. Their yeah. feet are in contact with the ground versus they're just trying to throw a ball. Right. Their feet might be touching the ground, but are they actually communicating with the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So just adding some more flexion to the hip turns the glutes on and more load, and now pushing your feet into the ground. Now they've got some active tension right. connection. What else? Gosh, that, that was a pretty wicked one. I'm going to go super simple. Pivot off that left foot. Yeah. So turning it inward. Just let it, just let it rotate like a baseball swing. Let the back foot pivot. Don't, don't keep it fixed. What's that facilitate? Why? Because that's probably the, the easiest one was, to put right, in. Yeah, it's the one. It basically removes any need for that knee to go through a valgusing type of position. It should go through a valgus. It's just going through probably too too much in this example. Yeah. So take it out of the equation. Literally, let the toe pivot on the ground. So now the knee rotates with the throw. Relatively, there's no there's, extra knee movement. Exactly. It's actually in line with the foot. Still. Right. The knee's going to spin, but it's going to spin in sync with the hips. What does that do? So it takes away the knee pain, but now what did you yeah. even facilitate even more so? Well, now we facilitate even more right hip rotation, more thoracic spine throw. Just the whole, the whole body now has more ability to rotate to the right with this throw. We essentially took out the left adductors. Hmm. I mean, simply put. It's everything spiraling together. Right. right? We can even combine the two. Right now, as we add yeah. more cues on top of this, it may be too much for somebody brand new. So maybe just throwing just the pivot, just the pivot, maybe just the foot pushing into the ground. Right. But then you throw both of them in there. You got your right foot pushing into the ground. You get your left foot pushing in, but it's pivoting. Now you might've influenced their power. And now they feel like, holy, Although, you've unlocked a beast in me. The ball should be louder against <laughs> yeah, the wall. There you go. Yeah. A yeah. Sound tweak. Yeah. yeah. Sound right. tweak. What do you got? Um, I would say let's even just add a step. So if their lateral facing the wall and I want to facilitate more rotation, maybe I'll take their left foot and step across their body. Ooh, got it. So now that left leg is helping to decelerate because they're just planting that foot. It's not having to stay back behind. Mm-hmm. They get to step through. Now they're putting their right hip into more internal rotation and they're going to force everything to go towards the wall. So at least if they have too much power, then they get the wall to stop them. But now they're also taking away that valgusing of the knee and now allowing that foot to make good contact with the ground. It's also allowing them to get more rotation. So if they were getting that crazy knee discomfort, now they come across, it might be too much coordination. It might be that we need to change something like, let's face towards the wall. Right, just change your body position to the wall. mm -hmm. Instead of lateral facing, which creates a lot more rotation, you forward face the wall and now throw from your hip. Your, Your knee is not going to be asked to go through as much decelerating with that adductor, with the foot with that right glute. Okay, you just gave two tweaks in one turn. 
So, you know. <laughs> We're going get, to start getting some more complex <laughs> stuff. All right, two furs now. <laughs> Anything else we might throw into that tweak? Uh, it'd be really interesting to even just put them onto like a cable machine and take the ball out of it. You take Ooh. the fact that you have to toss something away from your arms and it catches. You take away that kind of spatial awareness aspect of it and you just allow them just to swing a, a handle across your body mm. and just tell them to like, just stay balanced between your two feet and don't let your weight shift from left to right. Sounds to me like you're taking away some of the momentum. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yep, exactly. the range of motion is going to be less. Exactly. And they're, Yeah, exactly. I, I like that Constant tension. Yeah. I'm going to go simple once again. Uh, let's say both feet are, uh, are uh, parallel, excuse me, perpendicular to the wall, right? So you're truly sideways facing the wall. Left foot, toe in. 22 to 45 degrees. <clears throat> Internally rotate the left foot position. So now when and you rotate right, and keep it there, and, the, and you, now you throw to the right, you have so much more capacity, range of motion, to actually rotate through that left hip and the left knee, probably never even reach its end, end range of motion. Nice, beautiful. It's going to feel let's, funky. Let's go one more with this. Okay. I'll try to keep it with one. <laughs> <laughs> um, take the throw out of it, like Mitch said, but keep the medicine ball so that they're still feeling like they're doing the activity, but you break it up into the parts, the load, the transition to the explode, and the finishing position. So if you're going to launch that ball back, sometimes just that release and having to react, your body's going to brace. If you're not used to throwing stuff and catching yeah, stuff, gonna you're going to lock up and go like, oh, some people don't like throwing things. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I love throwing shit. <laughs> it's great but some people don't like doing that so just by taking that same medicine ball you take it to your hip and you take it up to your right shoulder and you take it down your left hip take it to your right shoulder and you start to just work that diagonal line so now you're starting to integrate your foot motion your ankle motion your knee motion your hip motion and your shoulder thoracic spine all working down to the left all coming up to the right and once that pattern's been established then maybe we go for a heavier weight or maybe we go faster or maybe we add a step you don't necessarily need to throw. You just start adding in some more extra momentum. And I think with the, with the pulling machine, that's a great way to go about it because now you can start to up that weight and whoosh, yank that thing. That's a fun one, medicine ball. A weird one to have a knee pain in, but it happens often. Yeah. What about a typical activity like a lateral lunge or a lateral shuffle? We get a lot of people popping up with lateral knee pain, medial knee pain on a side shuffle. Sometimes when we're initiating that shuffle, so the acceleration sometimes on the deceleration, right. and many times on the transition. When we stop, we're fine, but it's the in-between that we're kind of locked up. Uh, what might be a tweak or something you're looking at? We'll kind of just open it up, open the floor for this one. When somebody's experiencing, let's say, right knee pain on a lateral shuffle, both right and left, mm. right and left lateral shuffle, mm. right knee pain. Push and acceleration and deceleration. I'm ready to go. Oh. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when someone's right laterally shuffling um, and it's on landing, so when the foot, when the right foot hits the ground. And they stop to go the other way. And they stop to go the opposite way. So, or it's just, it's just when the right foot hits the ground and they're ready to keep, to keep going right, hmm. right? But it's still that, it's that first landing zone where they have to decelerate a little bit, right? We're still keeping right, mo right momentum, so it's not a hard deceleration. It's just a, it's a don't fall on your butt deceleration. Um, I really want to look at like what is the what is the lateral leg doing? You know, IT band, TFL, glute medius, lateral core. Is it is it is it taking that absorption? Is it taking the shock? Are they very stiff on the upper side? You know, that's what I'm kind of looking like. Are the legs super active and the upper body just kind of just blah? And then I want to know: 
can if I put their right foot in front. So I go to a RXX lateral shuffle, which means right foot in front of left. So it's a split stance lateral sh shuffle. Does that make it better or does that make it worse? For when I put the right foot in front, I'm asking the lateral right side to engage more because it hits, it hits more hip flexion. So therefore, it's going to require those muscles to show up more. If they can show up more, I'm probably going to reduce that pain. If it makes it worse, then I've got an answer that that lateral chain, that posterior lateral chain is, is too bound down, not giving any motion. And I just asked to give it more and it said, F you, I'm <laughs> sorry. So I'll just go to a left foot in front while they shuffle to the, the left. Or to the right, to the right. To the right. You know, and that should, by definition, calm that, that pain down. So that's, what, that's going right lateral. Mm -hmm. But if it's on push-off, I hope that same story solves the same problem. To go with on, One foot forward, other foot forward. Exactly. I hope it was. Sometimes it won't do that. You know, um, but you're hoping you can get one stone with two birds in a sense, or however, uh, however that story. You can get one stone with two birds. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing I birds at rocks, man. <laughs> I said that wrong, but you know, it's like <laughs> get two birds with one stone. Oh, I, love it. <laughs> uh, I love the podcast format. It's good. <laughs> okay, cool. I think that's great. So, yeah. just stride stance, and now we could really go into the intention specific biomechanics, what's going on. But in the moment when you're coaching just give them something that will mitigate some of that discomfort. And right. if it is switching your body position, if it is taking um, one foot forward or the other foot forward, whichever one feels better, go with that one for the day. Now, I've, when I was learning um, about coaching, uh, physical training, I was told, don't go for what feels better. Go for what you're trying to go after, like the specific position, like for bodybuilding, right? If you pronate your hand or supinate your hand, you're going to create a different bicep load. Right. You don't ask the client which one feels better. You give them that. But when we're talking about movement sake and somebody is just trying to travel back and forth, it's simply about building a better experience and allowing your athlete to experience more success, knowing that you want to be able to get them to a neutral stance and side shuffle without pain. But in a group workout, maybe you don't have time to address that full conversation. It may just be, hey, do this for me. Feels better? Go get it. Perfect. Right. And then having that conversation afterwards, like, let's get to the bottom of this. I think I know why that helped you. I think I can help you even further. Mitch, what do you, what do you see when you're talking about like a lateral shuffle with that right knee pain? I'll what you're looking at? I'll look at a lot how they just decelerate that knee pain. So when that foot hits the ground, like what does that hip do? Is that foot hitting really hard on the ground? Is it just slamming on the ground like you're slapping a hand on a table? Or is it kind of like a cushion? Like when a car goes over like a speed bump or something, does that just cushion that ground reaction force on mm. there? And does it absorb it? Because if it doesn't absorb it, then you're probably going to feel some, some stuff in the knee. So it's like, I just try and teach them at first, like when your foot hits the ground, try and land really softly and just sink, sit, sit your hip back hmm. for the most part. Because you can see, like, I always will look at the knee. Like, does the knee really drive forward, like, excessively over the toes? Like, not wrong. Unintentionally, maybe, though. Uh, not, not necessarily wrong. But if you're experiencing knee pain, it probably doesn't expect probably means you probably shouldn't necessarily be doing it over and over and over again if you continue to experience pain. Hmm. So it's kind of like sit the hip back a little bit, get the muscles that Michael were just talking about to actually assist the knee in loading. And then that might even solve the other pain too because maybe, you know, maybe you're having knee pain on the other side too because the right knee was hurting for so long, now the left one's starting to do more. Right. How often does that come up where, oh yeah, sometimes it's this knee, sometimes it's the other knee. It's never both knees. Ah, but today they both kind of ache a little bit. Yeah. And it's like, sorry, coach, I don't really know which one's hurting today. In fact, they don't really hurt today. 
they hurt yesterday, but when I came in here, they, now they're not hurting anymore. Yeah. Like that's a wild thing that comes up too. Cause like, this is a little acute pains, but they pop up often in switched knees. Yep. And it may tell us that there's something missing from their settling into the ground, right? They're, right? they're not able to just slow down and feel. They're trying to do something too quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think about like a car, like if you don't have any shocks on a car and you continue to go over just bad roads all the time and go over speed bumps, like everything in that car is going to start to loosen up and rattle. The driver experience is terrible because you're feeling everything from the ground. And eventually hmm. that things are going to start falling off, right? Yeah. One of, one of my favorite tools to show this to people what settling to the ground feels like is using a vibration plate. Hmm. You ever yeah. stood on a vibration plate and locked your knees out? Mm-hmm. Yep. You're in t- you rattle up to your eyes, your nose becomes itchy, your eyebrows are fluttering, you're like, ah, and then you squat and you're like, oh, my lower body's vibrating, but my upper body feels very little. That simulates that shock or that ground reaction force. When you're hitting the ground, if we don't have those shock absorbers like you were saying, Mitch, it's going to rattle the entire chain up the lumbar spine, and now you've got knee pain and back pain, and now you're getting neck pain because you're bracing your, your neck muscles and your shoulder muscles when you should just be letting your body sink and settle and slow down and feel the shock entering through the feet, through the hips, but not allowing yourself to brace so hard that you're rattling the entire mechanism. Yeah, that goes into this whole concept, like flex your core while you do this move and things like that. Like I get why they're doing that. They're trying to get muscles to respond but it's, I think that, you know, there's a better way. There's a better way. Let them respond by doing what they should do. Train them to respond. Don't force them to or respond. Or even explain why we're flexing yeah. the core. So, because right. when you think about throwing something, as an athlete, you do flex, but you're not consciously aware of it. You brace a little bit so that you can get the power. If everything's just flaccid and loose, of course, it's like, not going to That's the power. other end of the spectrum. Right. right. You got to kind of squeeze a little bit. But if you're just saying squeeze, 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 internally on somebody who's just learning to move and to, to train, they're going to flex everything and they're going to stay really braced and just be like, wait a second, let's, there's a spectrum of this. You don't got to flex 100% or 0%. Maybe just notice your breathing. Notice when you hit the ground, are you still breathing? Notice when you hit the ground, are you just trying to get the exercise done or are you experiencing your legs working? Yeah. Do you feel your feet? Well, a lot of people are just so unaware of their feet, not because they don't look at them and they don't know they have feet, but because they're locked away in really tight tennis shoes and they're side shuffling and they're in a they're in a running shoe that's yeah. designed to go forward. And now there's nothing wrong with their knees. Their feet are in chambers that do not allow them to pronate and to absorb the shock. So now that the foot's locked up, now the ankle and the knee are next. Well, the ankle's probably stiff in the shoe, so they don't tip over and roll an ankle. The next thing is gonna be the knee, and that knee's gonna valgus, varus, it's gonna go all over the place, or maybe just stay straight because it doesn't want to load up. Right. So there's a lot of things to consider with movement. And I think we, we kind of got down to it's, it's momentum, it's position, and then it's essentially your, your direction, your distance, and your, your height. Like where are you going with your movement in your matrix, your X, Y, and Z axis, right? Any other movements we want to bring up in this one that are common knee discomforts? I mean, we know squats, we know lunges, but uh, the, the people listening may want to know more about... Yeah, jumping is like, the, you know, jumping, in fitness, yeah. you know, a, a box jump is kind of a staple drill in fitness especially nowadays with you know hit style training um and there's a lot going on with a jump because we don't typically jump in our day-to-day life a two-foot takeoff to two-foot land it's very rare it's very rare but we do it maybe ad nauseum in some of our workouts hundreds of times hundreds Mm -hmm. of times um so it's really interesting how the body coordinates a jump we like to leap 
Leaping is very common, excessively common. Um, so how do you coordinate both muscle groups when you have asymmetrical tension in both legs because you sit funky, you know, driving a car, the legs are in different positions. One's toed open on the gas pedal, one's hanging out, tucked in tight, whatever the case is. Why is your right calf it was so overdeveloped? Uh, uh. Yeah, I don't know. You know, why is your right glute constantly a little tighter than your left? Oh, I don't know. Probably because the car design is a toe open car. That kind of pisses me off. Come on, people. You know, damn cars and <laughs> gas pedals. Out, you know. <laughs> Um, hence why I like self-driving cars so much. I'm just letting you know about that, you know? That's why I like manual. You get to use both feet. There you, you go. To be yeah, a little more actively so involved. Yeah, yeah, like brought to you by Tesla. <laughs> 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 um, so it's, it's, it's to realize that, that, you know, when you squat, when it's a, it's a, it's a, a initial range of motion squat to a jump, and then you got to decelerate that most often backwards because you jump onto something and then you jump yeah. off, you jump posteriorly. And that's how just there's so we could really break that down, but it's a very it's a it's a foreign thing for anyone over the age of about I'm gonna say five. But it's something we should all be doing the entire bit of our life. I, I think. would say so. It's yeah, a, it's an important skill to be able to. If you need to run, get away from something, get out of the way. If you've never done that, jumping will help you do that. Right. But in leaping a, will help you do that. Right. But in a bilateral stance, it's it's. You know, I'm just saying, like it's more for play than it is for an actual function. Um, but I watch my awesome two-year-old. He jumps all the time. He's constantly jumping. Any soft surface, he just starts jumping. So it's like, interesting. So I, to learn from that. I guy. didn't teach him that. You know, a soft surface, he just starts bouncing. So it's fascinating, seriously. Every time at dinner, we have little soft pads. He literally, he's, he's done with eating his food, just starts jumping. I'm like, man, <laughs> I wish I could really do that right now. I'd break the, I'd break the, the bench, but he's just jumping. And uh, I, I think it's it's exploring the freedom of movement, the freedom of that that constant like repetitive inertia. You know, feeling those Achilles ten, those Achilles tendons in a sense taking that load. It's almost a free free energy. It's really fun. It's really fun. Obviously, that's why he's doing it. It's fun. Um, but to break that down in a forty five year old client, you know, and to say why is their knee bothering? Because there's so much going on. From the calves, I mean, from a fascial tightness to an inability to understand stacking of the body to it's just, it's just a ability to, they just can't jump backwards. They just don't have the coordination to land it in a relatively extended position. Um, anyways, I'm I think where we find more, a lot of, here, a lot of success is that we need to understand that if somebody's hurting in a lunge, if somebody's hurting in a shuffle, if somebody's hurting in a jump up or down, there's progressions to that. There's, it's not just a jump is a jump, a lunge is a lunge, and a squat is a squat. Yeah, nicely said. There is other ways to squat, and we said we could change position, whatever, but let's take, let's take the jump as like a high-level progression and say, all right, jumping is hurting this person. Do we take away the jump and say, oh, let's just not jump today? Or do we say something along the lines of, well, instead of jumping in the air, let's jump on the ground where you're literally just lifting your heels off the ground and then having them come back down. So you squat, you come up and lift your heels. You squat, you come up and lift your heels. So it's giving you the motion of coming up and coming down. You're just taking away a lot of that ground reaction force, mm -hmm. so that impact, but also taking away um, that momentum and things that go into making why that force may be tough to decelerate. So you take away the impact, you take away maybe some of the range of them having to land coming down and say, 
maybe we can add load into a squat. So yeah. now they've got to decelerate with a 10-pound sandbag on their chest. And that's, okay, I don't feel any pain. So we have a progression up to a jump. Let's now, maybe we can do 20 pounds the next week or the couple weeks later. Now you're doing 30-pound squats, and they're able to decelerate with no pain. Up to a toe raise and back down, exactly, yeah. I'll bet if they take that weight off of them, and then they go for a very small jump, they're fine. maybe the first five, they're like, oh, God, this is scary. But then they're like, wait a second. I've learned how to decelerate. It's not that I can't jump. It's that I didn't know how to land. Yeah. A lunge, same thing, right? If you take it to a lateral lunge, and somebody's getting knee pain, sure, you could change the angle of it. Sure, we could change the height of it, like you said, putting them up on a box. But we could also just pre-position them into a, a lunge and then have them move. Right. Right? There's a lot of ways, I think, that we all, as coaches, consider the progressions, but we may not have the confidence to deliver this because this person doesn't want to do it or they're afraid to do it. Yeah, Or like it's an, it's an on-off switch. You either jump or you don't jump. Hmm. Like so much of what, of what we do, you know, we, to us, there's at least 10 different ways to tweak an activity, right? We use the 10 observational essentials. We all learned it from the Gray Institute, and we've incorporated it into our training extensively. But we so cherish and hold off on tweaking one of those 10. It's the action. Don't change the action. That's the last thing that you should change. If it's a jump, keep the exact same movement pattern. But like I said, just go up on toes, come back on heels. You're not changing the action. You know, you're, you're, you're changing the height, not the action. Medicine ball, we didn't change the, the rotation. Mitch didn't change, he just changed the, the modality. Like there's so many things I want trainers to get from this podcast. Don't change the action. Change the other nine. You don't even know what the other nine is. That's why I should go into the MDMC course, multidimensional <laughs> movement coaching course. Check it out. Okay. Well, then you <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> well, then you also start going into what people have told them their whole life is like, you can't do this because you have an injury. Like how many times do people come to us and they're like, oh, I was told I can't run or I can't lunge or I can't do this. And you're like, well, who told you that? And it's hmm. someone that they have seen in the past that said, oh, you, you'll never do this again. And you're like, but Why? Like, now you have this fear, you have this block up, and it's like, now you're kind of fighting against that. But it's like, we can get you to that point, for the most part, to a better better point. But it's like, yeah, how do you do it? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and that progressional stance is really, there's so many different avenues. So It's crazy. It brings a point up. Yesterday, you had programmed a, an amazing workout for one of your clients coming in. Put the time in and say, all right, here's exercise. Here's the five exercises we're going to do. Here's the little restoration we're going to do. And I have this whole game plan. The person comes in, shows up with knee pain, scratches your whole plan. What? Tell me more about that because I thought that was a cool transition because I saw the person moving at the end of the, end of the session, enjoying, enjoying the workout. Yeah, we hit all five drills. Not as many times as I wanted to, but we hit all five drills. So the first question is I always ask, how are you doing personally? And then I ask, how are you doing physically? And you not ask a client that comes to you enough times, they're going to be real with you. It's like, ah, my knee pain's back. It hasn't been there for a good three weeks. You know, he's had knee pain. He would call it bone on bone. It's not technically bone on bone, but it's a bad knee. And uh, I was, yep. I said, like, all right, great. When do you feel it? So it's walking in here. Great. When the foot's in front of you or when the foot's behind you? When that knee's in front of you, when you hit the ground or when you push off the ground? This is when I push off. Awesome. I know so much more about the potential muscle groups, fascial lines, 
that are influencing that knee negatively. And from there, I deduce, I went to probable suspects. Another thing that we were taught, right? There's so many options, but there's certainly the ones that are more probable. So it went after his quad. It went after his, his lateral quad was the tightest. After just some basic foam rolling palpation, lateral quad was the tightest. I didn't have time to do a whole movement assessment on him. But I did it. I put him in, in, in that stride stance, and I had him just push off. So, Ooh, it gets me. So I said, what are the probable suspects? What are the biggest players? Quadricep, hip flexors biggest ones. Lateral quad was just tender, just tender. When the muscle's tender to me, it's a dried up sponge. You just got back, you just got back from a vacation, you went to your, you went to your sink, what's that sponge look like? Deformed, crusty, rigid. You try to move that sponge, it resists. You try to fold it in half, it doesn't unfold, it stays folded, right? It's not responsive. So I wanted to hydrate that muscle. How do you do that? Foam rolling. How do you foam roll? Well, that's a different podcast. But and I just went after that on the table. I got some soft tissue skills. I'm qualified to do that. Went after it, loosened it up, took about 15 minutes, went to the cage, our, our true stretch, put him in the exact same position that hurt him walking, and had him drive his pelvis laterally. S significant stretch, significant stretch. Had him rotate his pelvis left and right, significant stretch, especially rotating to his uh, right when his, when his right knee was behind him. So it was falling biomechanics of walking, significant stretch. Had him let go of the cage, do the same stretch again, but he had to self-control his own balance. So I started to reteach tension, even in, in that stretching position. Walked out of it, three or four steps. Asked him, how's it feeling? Says, it's gone. Let's go to work. <laughs> Took us 25 minutes. Still had another 35 minutes of a workout left. When... Literally in the past, I would have just said, all right, let's go to DEFCON 4. Let's figure out how we can sit down this whole workout and do it, you know, take and you know, whatever the case is. So the cool thing is, not only did I get to go to my programming, but that client now says, I'm going to bring up more things to my coach because he's going to help me. He's going to challenge me with more stuff. I thought that was really, really awesome. And something that took me a long time to learn that not to get freaked out, but to embrace it. In fact, it's not to embrace it too much. Like, to me, I embrace it. Let's just let's really go after it. Let's really spend the whole session dialing that knee. No, let's go to the workout. That's what he's here for. Um, yeah, so it was a great, that was a great case study. And uh, I, I feel so good after work. I got to give someone a workout, make them feel good, and reduce a musculoskeletal dysfunction in one hour. What a cool session. The so. beauty in that, too, I think, is when you get back to the training. You've relieved some discomfort. So now those reps of that program that you had dialed in is going to make this person better. They're exactly. going to be stronger because they're moving from a more functional place in their body. Things are relieved versus how, many, how often do you show up to work at like, ah, oh, things just kind of hurt. I'm just going to get through it today. And most time that's okay. But if you got something like that is like a knee or a lumbar spine or like a deep shoulder pain, it's probably going to feel a little bit worse if you just keep cranking on it and don't address it. Right. So it's worth having that conversation of saying, maybe, maybe we do need to take a whole hour. Do you want to take this hour today just, just to restore the leg? Or if you came in here to work out, let's see if we can get the restoration and then crank it. Yeah, and I did ask him. I said, I said, do you want me to go after this knee and then see how much time we have left to go to the workout? That was my first question. I got to say, say that. I, I, I asked, what do you want to do about this? He says, let's go after, let's go after the knee because this workout's either going to make it worse 
or I'm going to still live with it once this workout's done. So I'd like to get rid of it. Sweet. So the cool thing is my probable suspect was correct. Now there's been times where my probable suspect option A was not correct. And I underutilized 25 minutes of an hour. So I have to ask again, I have an option B. Do you want me to go after that one? But it's all still learning. It's all still yeah, that's learning, the right? thing. You so, yeah, you can't, you can't expect perfection as you're learning this. There's been times where I spent the entire six, I went over 65 minutes and I just didn't get it where I wanted it to be. And uh, you have to live with that choice. And your client has to live with that choice too. Um, hmm. It's not perfect. I'm not saying my tracker is not perfect, but it gets significantly better every single day. So to all those coaches out there, you got to start trying. You got to start trying. And if you don't have the information, it's, it, it's out there. All three of us are not physical therapists. We do not have graduate degrees in any sort of form. Um, we are trainers who just know the human body very, very well. Well said. Mitch, I have a question for you. Um, I see you doing this in your group sessions quite a bit and about having conversations about discomfort or pain. And you even said before, like sometimes I'll go over to somebody, I'll check in, check in, and they're like, ah, and then you wait for something to arise, like they step down a little bit or they go a little bit lighter or they go a little bit slower, and then that's your time to open the conversation. Um, how does a trainer, how do you go about addressing this with, with athletes? And then what's the conversation like when you know you, there's something that you can dive deeper into to help them get out of that discomfort or maybe to make them more aware of what's causing it. What do you want me to pick up on this? Right, right, right when they start to experience the knee pain? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you notice from across the room, like that person's moving yeah. a little funky and I bet their knees hurt. I'm going to go check in with them. Boom. So yeah, I'll just do that same thing. I'll be like, hey, I just, I'll, I'll ask questions. It just always starts with a ton of questions. Mm -hmm. um, hey, I noticed maybe you're not... Uh, going as fast as I saw you going earlier or lunging as deep or going as heavy. And then they'll usually go, oh, yeah, my knee starts to bother me or something like that. And you go, oh, interesting. You go, well, what if you just, and literally just kind of just say it within the conversation, like, hey, what if you just tried uh, lunging over there? Or what if you tried that? Does that take it away? Oh, it does. Great. Awesome. <laughs> going, going it seems so easy perch. the way you put it's it like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it starts at the beginning, though, because I don't try and impose anything on them at first because, you know, if you're a new new person going into a facility, I think the last thing you want to do is trying to be sold on something. Hmm. Like, I'm just trying to experience this gym and a workout and see what everybody's been talking about and see what everybody loves about this place. And if I go in there and try and sell them on, like, an exclusive or a semi-private or something like that and be like, oh, hey, you got knee pain, you need to do this. It's like, well, depending on who the person is and, their, and the personality traits they have, it's like, that might just be it total turnoff for them to even come back in the door. So one, it's like, let me not be the salesperson right away. Let me just be a good coach to you first. Mm. Get you through this workout the best you can. And if any hiccups come along the way, like maybe you start to experience knee pain, more knee pain. And I start to see you moving a little bit differently. Well, then I'm going to go in there and offer and be like, this is how I can help you. And I can help you because maybe this and this is going on with you. And if you step here, it does X, Y, and Z to your body. And that's why it feels better. And then they go through the workout, being able to push it like they wanted to push it originally. And then they come out of it going, oh, wow, like, cool. Like, that guy really showed that he can help me without actually saying I can, he can help me. And then they're going to come back in the next session because, one, their knee doesn't hurt nearly as much as it could have, potentially. Um, and they got a good workout, hopefully. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity that you said, like, post-workout. Post-workout's huge. Huge. 
huge. You know, because you've given them something that at least arouses their sense of curiosity. Like you've done something that no other coach has done, or at least that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. So you got the opportunity post cool down. You walk up to them and said, "Hey, you know, just want to just touch base with you," which I know we all do, and that's our opportunity to quote unquote upsell. But what it really is is offer an opportunity for that person to literally have an opportunity to take care of this issue versus just work around it. In the workouts, we are we're going to work around it so you can have a complete workout. But what what then? You know, is a warm up and cool down going to fix it? Sometimes it does. Mm, not all the time though, right? Sometimes it, it needs much, much more. So to walk up that person and you already have a little bit of ammunition in a positive way to be like, okay, so this is what you experienced. This is the motion that you were doing. Here's the motion that I gave you. Here's my story, right? right. Here's what I think is going to happen. And here's what you can do about it. Option A, option B. Yeah, I think one of the bigger things, too, is, is, is that post-workout session. I think that's actually probably one of the most important aspects of it, especially if you just take time away from the group. So once you get the whole group cooled down and warmed up and you just spend a few minutes with that person just to give them a little extra TLC and go, um, just what you said, and it's like, here's some probable causes. Now let's put a little more focused intention and maybe some more specific foam rolling and stretching or a movement pattern or something like that that you know you can help. And then you have them go retest whatever they were doing. Just be like, hey, you know, does that feel better if you do that? If they say yes, you're like, all right. right. Yeah, <laughs> come, uh, the power is in the drip education. Yeah. It's, it's, you said it well. It's like I can tell this person I can help them without telling them I'm going to help you. Because some people don't want necessarily that help right off the bat. They just want to experience and they want to explore, is this the place for me? And it, that drip education in that warm-up series or even in the cool-down series, that pre-workout, that post-workout, it's where a lot of times in that warm-up, you're, you know somebody's going to be experiencing discomfort, and it's probably going to be the knees, the back. I think your body's warming up. It's waking up, especially early in the morning. So that's an opportunity. As soon as you say, hey, if this is bothering your back, if this is bothering your knee, if this is bothering you in this place, here's what could potentially be going on, or try this. And just by offering, the, it's the power of suggestion that I think is what builds that trust and that, that confidence in I can help myself and I just need help people to help me help myself. As you offer that guidance saying, have you tried this before? Because as movement practitioners, as movement therapists, as coaches, as trainers, we see the body in a different light. And many athletes coming in, they don't have that background knowledge of anatomy, physiology, and biomechanics, and then application in a fitness setting. Maybe they have an initial, I know where my muscles are, but it's not an, a connected web of understanding of my knee is connected to my butt, is connected to my quad, is connected to my calf, is connected to my, the bottom of my foot, is connected to my intention of what I'm trying to do. In uh, in the cool down specifically too, or when we're stretching and mobilizing, it's kind of like putting yourself as a coach in the athlete's body and saying, if I had this knee pain when I'm doing this activity, how might I shift this for myself? How might I move my hips in a certain way to mobilize to then relieve that pressure or discomfort at a knee or somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And I think that is the ultimate power is to be able to put yourself in those shoes and say, if I experience this, what would I do about it? Or how might I explore this? And if we can offer that suggestion or that exploration and somebody takes that bait and then they feel it and they're like, oh my gosh, what was that? There's an opportunity to now expand that to a deeper routine or practice that then solves the discomfort but we we're not our, our number one job isn't always to solve and to fix especially as group coaches or leading a circuit training number one thing is to allow somebody to have a great experience and a fun time and to feel supported and cared for 
And so if you can, if somebody's comes in and just wants to work out, they don't want to fix a damn thing. Don't fix a damn thing. Yeah. But drip that education as we go along. Announce it to a group. Announce it to everybody, not necessarily to that person who doesn't want that that support yet, because they may have had lack of success from other practitioners and trainers that they don't trust you now. But they're giving you an opportunity to say, "I want to have a good time. I leave here having a good time. I'm going to come back." Now we start to build that rapport, that trust to to open that conversation. Let's let's dive deeper and fix this thing. That's huge. I mean, literally, what what you said is absolutely huge. You know, forcing someone to do something. You know, if someone has that type of chronic of condition and they're still coming to a facility, you're not the first facility that they've been to. <laughs> you know, they are die hard on moving until that joint screams at them so bad that it messes up with their own psyche and they've lived with it and they've made a decision in their mind this is what it is. Um, and if you try to force it, yeah, that's, that's, the whole be- that's the whole behavioral study that we spend a lot, of, a lot of time on. You have to win them over. You don't force them. You can't force them. Um, sometimes it takes a long time. We've had clients here for years. We finally get an opportunity to get that one-on-one session with them, that semi-private with them. I wish I would have done this years ago. Right, and that's typically what <laughs> yeah. they say. That's typically what they say. Um, but you can't go back. You can always say, great. You know, when people start to beat themselves up, like, gosh, you know, why, why wasn't I here years ago? It's like, you're here now. Can't stop the past from, you know, you can't change it, excuse me. Um, uh, we're in the current, and this is what you're going to do about it. And then people get too excited. I want to change it tomorrow. It's like, oh, it's been here a long time. Hang in there. We're really teaching you to write with your non-dominant hand. It's going to feel awkward. In fact, if it feels awkward, celebrate the awkwardness because that means you're changing something that's not your normal, which is good. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process. You know, we're saying, we, in this podcast, we've said a lot of times, oh, it's just gone. Take a step back. You know, we can remove a situational discomfort, but to solve the chronic drip is something that takes a lot more focus. Um, but we still have accomplished over and over again. Well said, well said, well said. Well, gentlemen, it was a pleasure talking to you guys about knee pain and what we do about it and always reflecting on our own practices and continuing to evolve the practice of working with people in pain and people who aren't in pain and just helping them move better and essentially build the, the vitality in their life to thrive as long as possible. Any closing remarks uh, you want trainers to know, people to know about, about their knees, about knee pain, about how to, how to bring this up with your trainer, or even a trainer to bring it up with your, with your athlete? Hmm. Uh, biggest thing is, is asking questions. I think Mitch said that a lot, like ask questions and listen. Listen. Be an amazing listener. Because sometimes we talk too much because we want to spit out some information. We're spitting out the wrong information or too quickly, or a step too far. So listen. Don't think you have the answers already. Always be looking for more answers to be able to solve problems, I think. Man. Cause like I, I, feel, you know, I feel like I've gotten stuck in it where you kind of get stuck in your own, your own path of thought. <laughs> I've gotten stuck <laughs> sorry. Uh, in, into thinking my own path of thought and like this is, these are my walls and it's like, wait, hold on, like get rid of these walls. Like there's so much more out there. People are helped in so many different ways that I've never even thought of mm. that I could learn from and bring into my own practice. So don't be opposed to listening to other people, even if you may initially object on their, their train of thought or anything like that. Like feel it out and, and learn if it's the right thing or not. Mm. Beautiful. I like that one. 
I think uh, see what you see and know what they feel. Use your eyes and use your ears. I mean, you said, listen, you can't feel something for somebody. You can imagine what it feels like, but the best way to know is to ask and to ask and to, to give them permission to express discomforts. Many people feel like they complain when they're talking about their pain and they've said it for years and years and years and they think that they're just a broken record about their knee pain, but let them know that what they feel is entirely theirs. If it's pain, it's pain. If it's discomfort, it's discomfort. If it feels great, it feels great. Those sensations, those feelings are real. But if we see something that they're not feeling, this is an opportunity to bridge the gap in their experience and their movement. Take it. Nice Thanks, one. y'all. I'll see you in the next that. podcast. Till next Enjoy time. seeing those knees. <laughs>